uh, and that we're starting on a journey in the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John. If you are a Facebook fan, you already saw that. I posted that on Facebook, uh, on our church's Facebook page. John's Gospel is what we're going to be looking at in the next, uh, actually, I, it's a 127-part series. So, <laughs> a lot, you know, there you go, 127 parts. I'm not sure it will be 127. I made that up, but something like that. So turn in your Bible to John's Gospel. We're just going to look at the first few verses of this master work of Christian thinking. Now, the wonderful thing about John is, to the best of our records, he was the oldest disciple. He lived the longest. He was the youngest disciple, and he lived the longest, and he died probably of natural causes. All the other ones were murdered violently. Uh, in God's plan for them, uh, they were uh, killed. Now, for example, uh, Peter and Paul, now Paul wasn't a disciple, but he became an apostle, but they were executed probably, we think, by about 68 A.D., and most probably in Rome by Nero, uh, with a, they, were, they had their heads cut off. Uh, that was their uh, capital punishment, capital punishment. Now, this is written by John, who's still alive. He's in exile uh, because of preaching the Word of God, uh, telling people that they could be saved by faith. Explaining the New Covenant to people is a dangerous occupation. And he's in exile on an isle, uh, island called Patmos, and he probably is writing this book in the range of 85 A.D., 85 A.D. He's the last author. He, he wrote uh, his gospel, and he wrote, uh, we have three of his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible, was written by John. So he wrote a lot that's recorded for us in the Bible. Now, there's another interesting facet of this is that you're familiar with the New Testament. It's this sort of we, the second half of the Bible. And the very first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them synoptic gospels, synoptic. And if you like language, it's easy to understand that optic is to see, and syn, S-Y-N, is actually from the Greek S-U-N, soon, which means together, a synoptic means to line three things up, there's three, to see together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. And so they actually have many, many, many of the same stories in them, told with one or two different details that uh, the author saw or emphasizes slightly differently than the other. So it's, it's really very productive to read all three of those together. Uh, in a, a harmony of the Gospels, that's called sometimes. Well, John, see, and, and those were all written probably before 70 A.D., most likely, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, however, see, wrote much later, as much as 15, even 20 years after the synoptics. And he's the last living apostle who, he's the one who spent a lot of personal time uh, with, with Jesus. He was really, really close with Jesus, and he knew him well. And 
you can almost see him as he writes this gospel, and he's getting older, he has the opportunity to write. You can almost see him desiring to give us more content than what was recorded in the others. And so he ends up giving a lot of information that we don't find elsewhere. Uh, he records three years of Jesus' ministry uh, on the earth. He makes that really clear. And he'll record uh, several uh, longer speeches of Jesus that aren't recorded in other books. So it, it's, it's unique, it's special, and just wonderful. And a good example of that is the way he starts his book. Uh, verses 1 through 18 are the, uh, it's the introduction to the book, and it's called the prologue by most students of the Bible, the prologue to John, and it's, it's just fantastic. It's a wonderful piece of literature, uh, and it, it, it stands alone, it's wonderful, it's a book by itself, and worthy of a lifetime of study, and I don't exaggerate, it really is. Um, and it's, it's different, it's unique. The, um, Matthew and Luke have what's called a genealogy of Jesus as they begin their books. Um, Matthew uh, and Luke, they, they trace Jesus through either Joseph or Mary, and they, they trace Jesus showing that he is a son uh, by the flesh, a son of David, and thus heir to the king, both sides, although, see, Joseph is not his real father, uh, but both sides are genetically related to David. They both trace him humanly speaking. Now, Mark, by the way, is written to sort of impatient Romans and Americans, you know, like, genealogies? We have no time for genealogies. <laughs> Let's get to the good parts. <laughs> and uh, so Mark's famous word is immediately and right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But John's going to start from a completely different point of view. And we hear this in the very first few words. We're today, as I said, Lord willing, I'm planning to try to uh, attempt to look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, so let, let me read the text for you today. Verses just 1 through 5 of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to look at this introduction to the Gospel of John in just our remaining moments together today on this Communion Sunday. Uh, we praise you for your precious word, and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be so kind as to open our, our hearts, our minds, our eyes to what you're saying here, that you would please, O oh Father, teach us, that you would give us what we need. We know that your word is true, and relevant. It is your message for us today. So give us ears to hear what you are saying, O oh Father. By the work of your Holy Spirit, we invite you, 
please, we beg you to teach us. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. All right, now, before I get too carried away, um, my title is, Who is the Word? And that I want to establish really clearly. I think you know, a lot of you are Bible students, but some of you aren't uh, real familiar with the Bible, and we're welcome, welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're here. We don't mean to leave anybody behind. But when, it, when he says, in the beginning was the Word, he's definitely talking about Jesus Christ. And, you, well, you might say, well, how do you know that? See, down in verse 14, this is in the same prologue to the Gospel of John. Down in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, John's saying, listen, I I saw Jesus. He lived with us. He stayed with us. We knew him very, very well, and the Word became flesh. Jesus said, this bread is my body, which is for you. And in theology, we call that the incarnation. Uh, Jesus became flesh, a human being, born as a beautiful baby. There's a baby illustration right back there on Trillian's lap. (laughs) He's born as a baby. It's marvelous and too wonderful for words. Uh, But the word became flesh. So he's talking about Jesus when he uses this word, word. So who is the word? Who is he? What does he say about Jesus in this text? Word, the basic nature of the word is revealed here. I'll read this little text again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is the basic nature of Jesus Christ the Lord. What, what is it saying? First of all, he was in the beginning. He's timeless. He didn't have a beginning. When the beginning occurred, he was there. Uh, now, you'll notice this word was uh, several times. He, in, in the beginning, was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning. This is a, a word... It's the imperfect of the Greek word amy, which means to be. It's the verb to be, amy. By the way, later in the gospel, we'll hear several times Jesus saying, ego amy, which is I am, amy. So you're going to get used to that one. Ego is saying I, I am, I am. Uh, and this is the imperfect. It's, it's past tense, but not completed. It, it was. Three times in this sentence and four right here, Uh, John uses this imperfect of a me to be, which conveys no idea of origin for God or for the logos. Logos is the Greek word for word, logos. You'll hear me say that many times, logos. So it's uh, no idea of origin. It just just was. He he is, I want to say, but, you know, the Holy Spirit said he was there at the beginning. He didn't have a beginning. Uh, You can't say he was before the beginning, because before the beginning there was no before. I know that gets a little complicated, but it's a time word. See, before is a time word. There was no time prior to the beginning, okay? 
he, he was there in an imperfect sense, just always there. Here, here, this is actually from A.T. Robertson, a great Greek scholar, writing in 1927. He says, it's simply continuous existence. The Word was in the beginning. Now, there's something else wonderful going on here, as John is the author. We carry our Bibles to church, and, and uh, I think almost all of us carried an English Bible in here today. And if you can imagine the first century Jewish folks, they, they knew Hebrew for sure, but the Bible that they read almost always was the uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And uh, I don't want to get too technical, but it's called the Septuagint. Okay? Uh, that, the Septuagint. You can Google it. You can find it. I found a really nice edition of it on the web, Blue Letter Bible Septuagint. I looked this up. And, and you see, in the Septuagint, at the very, very, very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, it has these same exact words. And it, in Greek, it's NRK. And so when John picks up the pen and says, NRK, all of the people who read this would say, oh, he's making a, a direct reference to, to Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1-1 in the English is in the beginning. Same exact word. In Greek, it's enarche. Hebrew, by the way, it's bereshith. In, in the very beginning, he was there. The word was there. So Jesus is timeless. He's, be, again, I'm going to say before. He's not before. <laughs> he just existed there Always. And notice it's the word, word. Let's think about this for just a minute. He is information. He is the word. Now, again, Greek scholars tell us that this word, logos, it was actually, there's that baby illustration. <laughs> it wasn't a neutral word. It was used in Greek culture, uh, and it was well known. Here, John is picking up a philosophical word, word, logos, and bringing it in, he's sanctifying it, and filling it with good meaning. And, and this is, again, A.T. Robertson, uh, word pictures in the New Testament, 1927. The word, halagos. Logos is from lego. Old word in Homer, to lay by, to collect, to put words side by side, to speak, to express an opinion. See, honestly, I, I kind of used to think that word meant like a word, like three letters, the, or uh, coffee, you know, or book, right? Just a word. And it's not that. It, logos actually means to combine words, to lay them side by side, to speak, to express an opinion. Logos is common for reason as well as speech. Uh, Heraclitus, this is a Greek philosopher, used it for the principle which controls the universe. See, and this predates John. So when John picks this up, he's saying, this is the word. It's the principle that deeply and profoundly beneath all controls the universe. 
uh, as Heraclitus said. The Stoics employed it for the soul of the world. Uh, anima mundi, the soul of the world. And Marcus Aurelius used spermaticos, we get our word sperm from there, or the, the seed, spermaticos logos, for the generative principle in nature, the, the idea of regeneration, of life, of growth, of, of reason, of, of even, you could say, a, 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 a fact that works, a functioning um, equation, a, a reason, a deep set of truth. And this is the word that John uses when he talks about Jesus. And it, it, it was in the beginning. It, it pre-exists everything, this logos. I like to put it this way, and you might say, well, why is that slide on a, on a bias? That's, that's a good question. Well, it happened kind of by accident. But as I was preparing this, I thought, uh, uh, when I was a kid, uh, all cars had uh, bias tires. And what that was, was if you cut off the rubber, you'd see underneath uh, that the, the cloth and stuff that held the tire together was like on an angle like that. And I think maybe sometimes they had crisscross angles, but it had a bias. It was, it was in a direction, right? And now, of course, in the modern day, oh, all these newfangled things, you know? <laughs> uh, radial tires. Well, then the, the band just goes right around the tire like that. It goes radially. But a bias tire has a set to it, a direction. And that's this word, word. It's not um, undecided. It's, it's biased in a good sense. It, it has meaning. It has a set direction. It is the basis of all that is. That is our Jesus. He's information. See? And here's, uh, I read, um, I've, I have in, inherited uh, libraries from like three or four retiring pastors. Um, two, one was an uncle and one was my father-in-law. And uh, so I don't know where these great books came from. I just kind of have like these weird great books. Um, and this guy is a Welch preacher named Jones, and he wrote in 1885 uh, commenting on this. He, it's his commentary on John. God did not spend the everlasting ages in sublime, solitary, masterly inactivity. He had a word with him, equal to himself, the reflex image of his own person. That God from everlasting loved is an idea with which we are all familiar enough. It is the prominent idea that correlates father and son. But in the text, Jesus Christ is presented not as the son, but as the word. Accordingly, the main idea is not God as love, but God as mind. Not only God loved from eternity, but he thought from eternity. He thought as intensely as he loved. Isn't that exciting? 